the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for Simple Truth Moments, hosted by Reverend Earl Clampett of Simple Truth Ministries, a weekly show dedicated to excavating God's simple truth moments. Good morning, San Diego Saints. I am your host, Reverend Earl Clampett. Welcome to Simple Truth Moments, a unique type of broadcast with the goal to prepare the body of Christ for the momentous times in which we find ourselves. This program serves as a kingdom training platform, challenging church tradition, not with hostility, but with a view to assess the biblical validity of what is taught and lived. So put on your seatbelt for an enlightening journey of cultural context and a fresh way to more thoroughly comprehend the kingdom ways of God. Welcome back, San Diego Saints. We are continuing our trek through a book uh, entitled Homecoming. Um, authored by me and uh, released last year. Um, and the byline under the title is called um, How the New Covenant Brings Both Jew and Gentile Back to Abba Father. And um, we've taken a little bit of a detour, um, but it fits within the uh, framework of where we were uh, of identifying what are the Gentile sacred cows and what are the Messianic Jewish sacred cows that have to be um, taken care of or slain in order that this one new man uh, really be able to take effect. And there could be a true union, a true merger of both Jew and Gentile in our mutual Messiah, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, and uh, our mutual Father. And it's all done by the Holy Spirit, and through the Son to bring us back to the Father. And so we've been spending a lot of time in chapters uh, 2 and 3 of both the uh, letter to the Ephesians by Apostle Paul and uh, the same two chapters in another letter called the letter to the Galatians. And um, I'm not going to be able to do a a review really this week other than to say... um, we are answering the question of what is our true biblical identity as born-again believers when we first come to, to know uh, Jesus uh, relationally, come to faith, uh, as the uh, Messianic Jews say, come to a relationship of trust. It's interesting that they use the word trust uh, instead of the word faith. I think trust is probably a more descriptive word. Um, which has relational implications. Um, Belief or uh, faith can be oftentimes a mind exercise of um, saying, I believe something or I know something, where we know facts and we know figures and we know statistics and we check the box. Um, But that really isn't what um, this experience this kingdom experience, this kingdom walk, 
of getting to know God um, through the gospel of of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, um, who said his message was all about the kingdom, the kingdom of God. And um, in essence, we have concluded in past shows that the goal of the trek that we take as uh, believers and as people of faith is really one of, in essence, describing the goal of this trek, the goal of this journey is union with God. It uh, really isn't about transportation. It's much more of an experience of transformation uh, of our old nature, our fallen nature, after the fall in Genesis chapter 3, and uh, trying to get back to the original idea that um, mankind was created by Father God to have dominion, to have authority, to exercise uh, his, um, in essence, his, his influence and control over the material creation, of course, under the headship of God. Um, but, but everything was given to mankind. And um, so as we've been talking in the last few shows, and again, I just uh, encourage you to go back and check out our recent podcasts. Uh, the podcasts can be um, accessed through the kprz.com uh, web page, and then once you click that into your computer or tablet, uh, that'll take you over to the podcast uh, pull-down menu, and you can go right over to the previous shows. You can also go to my website at www.simpletruthministries. That's all jammed together with those three words, simpletruthministries.net. I'm not a .com. I'm not a .org. I am a .net. So Simple Truth Ministries, that's plural with ministries, simpletruthministries.net. And um, you'll go over to the media page, and when you click on the media page, um, it, you'll see uh, podcasting. You can click onto that, um, and you'll be right into the previous shows. So we've spent a lot of time on Ephesians chapter 2 and 3. Uh, and a lot of time on Galatians chapters 2 and 3, and we are answering the question, what is our true biblical identity as we come to have a relationship uh, with Jesus Christ of Nazareth, with Yeshua HaMashiach, which is his Jewish name. Uh, Jesus um, is translated in Hebrew as Yeshua, which means he saves, and HaMashiach, Ha is the word for the, Mashiach is Messiah. So when you hear that, Yeshua HaMashiach, that's what you are uh, saying in Hebrew. And by the way, Jesus was a Hebrew. He was Jewish, uh, much to the shock <laughs> to uh, many Gentiles. And and so uh, they're never really encouraged to read the first two-thirds of the Bible. But uh, you have to remember, Jesus said in Matthew 5.17, he said, hey, I haven't come to do away with the law, which is found in the in the First Testament, or the prophets, which were all Hebrews, uh, were all Jews in the First Testament. He said, "I'd rather I have come to fulfill them." 
And so we need to make those connections, and uh, the Bible needs to be studied in its entirety because it is connected. It is linked. Um, And God is bringing even more revelation on how he wants to link and how he wants to connect uh, his two people groups, those of um, Jewish-slash-Hebrew extraction and the other group, which is the Gentiles, Uh, goyim, if you will, in Hebrew, uh, which means people of the nations. So what we uh, came up with in this list of Ephesians chapter 2 and and, uh, 3, and as well as Galatians 2 and 3, is a list of when we come as Gentiles now to have a relationship with uh, the Messiah, with Jesus, um, we came up with a list which involved to the shock of many people, um, something called we became members of the commonwealth of Israel. In other words, we became part of the culture of Israel. Now, Israel, uh, don't forget the third patriarch, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob was the one who had his name changed. Um, He originally was given the name Jacob, which meant heel, H-E-E-L, heel snatcher. And... um, and he lived the life of his heel snatcher. He was kind of a manipulator. He was kind of a, uh, a guy who was always looking to how to get the best deal, how to cut corners, how to uh, uh, make things work for him. Um, but he was the third of three Jewish patriarchs, and um, his name was changed after he had an encounter with God. Um, when he has that dream of, of uh, Jacob's ladder and the angels going back and forth and up and down from heaven down to earth and vice versa, um, he wrestles with an angel um, that evening. And um, his name was changed that night with or from Jacob, which me- meant heel snatcher, to um, Israel, which means one who wrestles with God. And the question is, Aren't we all, in a way, when we take this journey to meet our our Messiah, uh, who introduces us to our Father, from whom we've been detached since Genesis chapter 3, and um, isn't that really a good description of the walk we all take, the journey that we all are on? We wrestle with God, and the issues over which we're wrestling with God are are basically come down to do we really believe in the Lord's Prayer when we say, um, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your, your will be done. See, that's the issue on why we wrestle with God. Are we going to live our life with the focus and the uh, objective and the target of doing God's will in every dimension of our life? Or are we going to say, no, it's all, all about me, and I just uh, want God to be my, my Santa Claus, and um, you know, I give him my list of stuff that I want and I insist on, and it's all about me and I. And, um, and there's really never a rest in the relationship. There never really is a, a, um, a feeling of there's no more competition, there's no more struggle, with, unless and until we begin to say, you know, thy will be done in the Lord's Prayer is a, real, is a real thing. It's a real experience. And it takes a while. It takes a while. It takes 
um, these different learning experiences that we take on this journey. And this journey is is not from earth to heaven. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking in a journey of being, in essence, a good example that we often use is the culture of Egypt that the uh, Jews were in. They were there 432 years, and um, they had you know, departed because of the famine uh, that was going on up in Canaan at the time, and they went down to Israel. But um, they were there several centuries, and they became part of the culture down there. And uh, uh, so much so that um, they needed to be rescued, they needed to be brought back because they forgot their God. They forgot their relationship with their God. And that was the whole um, reality when Moses goes down um, because Father God wants his children back. Well, it's no different with us Gentiles. Um, when Before we came to know Christ, we had no hope. We were without God. And we were strangers from everything that God was doing in this reconciliation process, this restoration of a relationship process that he was doing with the Hebrew people as a prototype, as a first fruits, if you will, as a forerunner of what he was going to do with everybody else uh, in the Gentile world. And so we asked the question, these last two or three shows, well, what is your true biblical identity when you come to know the Lord? And it was kind of shocking. Uh, people would say, I didn't know as a Gentile I was part of the Commonwealth of Israel. And that's not talking about Zionism. It's not talking about politics. It's not talking about geography. It's talking about what Jesus emphasized when he showed up as the Messiah. He said it's all about the kingdom, and the kingdom wasn't necessarily a place. The kingdom was a government. It was a structure of of rules by which man can prosper if as long as he's listening to God, as long as he's paying attention and trust the Father who created him to have these amazing responsibilities to run the material creation in Genesis 1 and 2. I mean, as Greeks, unfortunately, as I mean, we are all intellectually Greeks if we're Gentiles, that's just our culture when... We were educated, whether it was grammar school, high school, college. Intellectually, Gentiles are Greeks. And as such, we do not understand the Middle Eastern culture and the experience of what Father God was doing with this group of people called the Hebrews, called the Jews, uh, called Israel as a group. And And so Paul is trying to explain in Ephesians 2 and 3 and Galatians 2 and 3, this is a mystery, and it's being rolled out. God wants to bring us together with the realization that we have way more in common than we do that separate us. Namely what? Well, in a family context, namely we have a mutual father. And that's why Jesus came. He came to reconcile all of God's children, whether they were Jews or Gentiles, back to our Father. The Father is the focus. He's the objective. The target is to have union with the Father through the Messiah, Jesus, and by the Holy Spirit. That's how it works. 
And see, if we don't understand that this is a restoration of a relationship that was lost in Genesis 3, we kind of miss the whole point thinking, well, I just want to get a ticket and I want to get out of here. I don't understand why I'm here on, on this earth. Uh, I have a lot of pain or I have a lot of disease or I have a lot of frustration or I have a lot of failures or whatever, not realizing that we are here to learn or relearn why we were placed here in the first place. Now, that may come as a shock. Middle Eastern people don't think in linear straight lines of going from point A to point Z on a, on a graph. What they consider history in their culture is a circle. And so everything that God begins in Genesis 1 and 2, guess what, is fulfilled in Revelation, the last two books of Revelation. I mean, people are amazed when they say, wow, he never changed his mind. Father God never changed his framework. That's correct. He did not. So we learned last week and the week before that that when we come, per Paul explaining in Ephesians, uh, as Gentiles, we were aliens, we were strangers far away from the covenants of promise, and we have become part of what they call the commonwealth of Israel. And that is a reference not to Jewish anything. That's a reference to Gentiles coming into this new experience. So we also looked and said, well, not only fellow citizens of our Hebrew cousins uh, of the, and fellow citizens of the commonwealth of Israel, which is a government, the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven, but we're also members of the household of God. That's what uh, Paul pointed out, the... Um, Complete Jewish Bible says members of God's family. And then we saw last week when you went to Galatians, it got even more very, very different from what we were taught as Gentiles. All of a sudden, in Galatians 2 and 3, we're being told that if we're in union with Christ, we are part of Abraham's seed as Gentiles. How many people do you know that describe themselves as part of Abraham's seed. And, and, and then Galatians goes on to say, by the way, if you're the seed of Abraham, you're children of God. You're also children of Father Abraham. And this whole relationship was given as an example by looking at what happened with the first Jew named Abraham, who used to be a Gentile, by the way. Before Abraham, there were no Jews. And Abraham had a relationship with God that was based on something called the, what the Jews call, instead of faith, they say trusting faithfulness. Now, you know, put that in your pipe and try to smoke it. Trusting faithfulness. That is a way more deep, way more profound relationship describing what God wants. He wants reunion with us based on a restored relationship. And and we are told that if we are children of Abraham, part of Abraham's seed, and children of God, there because of that connection, well then we have in our lineage a human father, but in our lineage in a spiritual sense, it reflects what our relationship is with our spiritual father, Father God, our creator. 
everyone kind of scratches their heads when they hear this, but listen, I didn't write this. Paul the Apostle did, trying to explain that there's this mystery rolling out to say, do you know what you're part of? Do you understand what you have joined? And so we're going to talk about today, especially in the second half of the show, the part that refers to your heirs, H-E-I-R-S, according to the promise that was given from Father God to Abraham because of the type of relationship they had. And that promise was called the Holy Spirit. And we are told, you know, in Galatians, hey, run your life by the, with the Holy Spirit. If we go, are going to live in this relationship, we have to walk in the Spirit. Well, this sounds like a journey. This sounds like something that I thought it was a one and done, and you add water and shake, and I, you know, I say, you know, Romans ten nine and ten, and the four spiritual laws, and I get a ticket and I get exited out of here. And it's like, ah, no, actually, that re- that whole experience of initial salvation was more like a scholarship than it is a diploma. And what I mean by that is, it's a gift of an opportunity to have a deeper relationship with God. That's what He's been after all along. So we're going to study in the second half of the show. We're going to go to Romans, and we're going to spend some time there, chapter 8, talking about, okay, if we're, we have all these new names that we're not familiar with, uh, we are part of the uh, Commonwealth of Israel, we are heirs of Abraham, we are children of Abraham, we are Abraham's seed, and if, if we are children of God, we are heirs of God as well because we have the type of relationship with God which was based on faith, based on trust, based on faithfulness, based on loyalty. Um, all of a sudden, we realize this isn't a check-the-box type of uh, uh, requirement at all. This is something that's very personal. It's very experiential. It's very relationally deep. Yes, it's a walk. It's a journey. The Jews understand journeys because of their history. We, as Gentiles, don't understand the requirement of journeys. We have to take these personal journeys. And everything that the Jews have as far as their history and their culture, etc., it involves journeys, especially the journey from Egypt to Canaan. What did they learn? What did they not learn? Uh, were some successful? Were some not successful? And w- it was all about going out to a place where they had to depend on God, going, leaving Egypt, going out to Sinai, and then going into the university of God, where you have to learn to depend on God, to trust on God, to lean into him, to learn that the Holy Spirit is the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night, and it moves, it travels, and you better follow it You'd better follow those leadings because if you don't, the next day's food called manna won't be there for you because you went off on your own. You went off to a different place in the desert. You thought you were smarter than God, that you didn't have to follow this road or this journey or go to the university to learn these deeper things. Salvation, initial salvation, is a scholarship. It's a free gift. We know we can't earn that. We understand that. We can explain that to the world in about three minutes. But what we don't explain well was, or is, it's a gift of a chance. It's a gift of an opportunity with the goal, not being a place, 
but the goal being union with God to restore what our original parents had in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. They had union with God. They had a relationship with God. So we're going to, in the second half of the show, we're going to go to Romans chapter 8, and we're going to study what does it mean to be a son of God? What does it mean to be a child of God, a daughter of God, heirs of God? And then here is the thing that we need to put our seatbelt on. What does it mean to be joint heirs with Yeshua, with Christ? I mean, Jesus told us it's the Father's good pleasure to give us the kingdom. Have we ever thought what that means? It's not dying and going to a place. It is bringing the government of heaven, the kingdom of heaven down to earth. Listen to the Lord's Prayer. Listen to the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come. Jesus was on earth when he taught that. So that doesn't mean thy kingdom go. (laughs) So we're going to take a look at Psalms uh, chapter 2, Psalms uh, 115, and we're going to get into what does it look like to be a joint heir with Christ because of our relationship and our lineage with Abraham and the commonwealth of Israel. Wow, what? Put on your seatbelts, folks. See you in a little bit. Did you know that the Simple Truth Moment Show features a website where you can access previous podcasts of the Simple Truth Moment Show? Also, previous radio shows, sermons, lectures, sponsored events, books, and publications, along with the blogs by the author and broadcaster, Reverend Earl Clampett of the Simple Truth Moment Show. Just type in www.simpletruthministries.net and click onto the media page and the book publications page. You will learn so much more on how the kingdom of God ways are impacting our current Gentile church culture to rediscover our Hebrew covenant roots and God's blueprint plans to bring together both Jew and Gentile into one new humanity in Messiah Jesus and Father God. It will be a life-changing journey you will not soon forget. So type in www.simpletruthministries.net. It's not .org. It's not .com. Remember .net. God bless. Welcome back, San Diego Saints. We're going to do a deeper dive into what does it mean to be a child of God? What does it mean to be an heir of God? And from also being a member of the lineage, the seed of Abraham. And what does it mean to be a joint heir with Jesus Christ? What is what is Jesus going to inherit? So I want to read, um, we're going to, skip over from Ephesians and Galatians. Let's jump over to the book of Romans. The Galatians talks about a brief reference that we are joint heirs with Christ, but um, I think Romans does a better job of explaining exactly what that means and what it looks like. So I'm going to read to you out of the complete Jewish Bible. This is um, Paul the Apostle writing to um, the congregation at Rome. By the way, Uh, This was a mixed congregation, um, unlike the uh, church at uh, Galatia. And um, the the Ephesians was mostly addressed to Gentiles, although there were a few Jews, I believe, in in that congregation. But Romans is 
definitely a mixed group. It ha- you have both Messianic Jews and uh, Gentiles. So I want to read to you, uh, beginning at Romans 8, verse 1. Now, this is out of the Complete Jewish Bible by David Stearns. Therefore, there is no longer any condemnation awaiting those who are in union with Messiah Jesus. Well, actually, he says Messiah Yeshua. Why, he asks, because the Torah of the Spirit, which produces this life in union with Messiah Yeshua, has set me free from the Torah of sin and death. So when they talk about Torah, they they mean the law, the law of sin and death. For what the Torah could not do by itself, because it lacked the power to make our old nature cooperate, God did by sending his own son as a human being with a nature like our own sinful one, but his was without sin. God did this in order to deal with sin. And in so doing, he executed the punishment against sin in human nature so that the just requirement of the Torah, of the law, might be fulfilled in us who do not run our lives according to what our old nature wants, but rather according to what the Spirit, that's a capital S, wants. For those who identify with their old nature, they set their minds on the things of the old nature. But those who identify with the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. This is all capital S, by the way, in the word Spirit. Having one's mind controlled by the old nature is death. But having one's mind controlled by the Spirit, capital S, is life and shalom. Shalom there means peace. Life and peace is having one's mind controlled by the Holy Spirit. So let's go to verse 7. For the mind controlled by the old nature is hostile to God because it does not submit itself to God's law or God's Torah. Indeed, it cannot do so. Thus, those who identify with their old nature cannot please God. Look at verse 9, Romans 8, verse 9. But you, you do not identify with your old nature, but rather with the Spirit provided the Spirit of God is living inside of you. For anyone who doesn't have the Spirit of the Messiah doesn't belong to him. Whenever they say Messiah, they're referring to Jesus Christ here. However, if the Messiah is in you, then on one hand the body is dead because of sin, but on the other hand the Spirit is giving life because God considers you to be righteous. So this comes back and harkens back to the type of relationship that Abraham had with Father God. 11, and if the Spirit, capital S, of the one who raised Yeshua, Jesus, from the dead is living in you, then the one who raised Messiah Yeshua from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit living in you. Verse 12, So then, brothers, we don't owe a thing to our old nature that would require us to live according to our old nature. For if you live according to your old nature, you will certainly die. But if by the Spirit you keep putting to death the practices of the body, you will live. Now, here we're going to get into 
who you are, what is your title, and what does what do those titles mean? What are they significant of? All who are led, I'm in verse 14 now, Romans 8, all who are led by God's Spirit are God's sons. That's totally in line with what we read with Ephesians 2 and 3, as well as Galatians 2 and 3. So this is a consistent message. All who are led by God's Spirit. By the way, that's a day-to-day. That's a moment-by-moment. That's an hour-by-hour, minute-by-minute experience. All who are led by God's Spirit are God's sons. Verse 15, For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to bring you back again into fear. On the contrary, you received the Spirit. That's a capital S, referring to the Holy Spirit, who makes us sons and by whose power we cry out, Abba, that is, dear Father. You see how this all comes back to reunion with God, to reconciliation with God, to the restitution of all things relationally with God? Verse 16, the Spirit, again, capital S, the Spirit himself bears witness with our own spirits. Now, here's the family part. Do you remember when we talked in Ephesians 2 and 3, it talked about we weren't just a part of a corporation, or not, not a corporation, but a large corporate experience of being part of the commonwealth of Israel, but we also became members of the family of God, members of the household of God. And here it is. Let me read verse 16 again of Romans 8. The Spirit himself bears witness with our own spirits that we are children of God. And if we are children, then we are also heirs, heirs of God, and, you ready, joint heirs with the Messiah, provided we are suffering with him in order to be glorified with him. All right, so there you go. Sons of God are those who are led by the Spirit. We saw that in uh, Galatians chapter 2 and 3. And we are the sons and daughters, the children of our Father, but it's the drawing or the walking in the Spirit that brings us all about. Don't forget, I think it was in Ephesians um, 2.18 where it says three prepositions there. It says, um, really important here to see how all the different facets of, of the Godhead have, have different roles. It says, through the Son, and notice that's the first preposition, by the Spirit, that's the second preposition. So we've got two-thirds of the Godhead. We come back to the Father. That was the goal. That is the goal, is union again with the Father, but it's by the leading of the Holy Spirit, and it's through Messiah Jesus. He's the bridge. He said himself in John uh, 14, uh, I believe it's in John 14, is it 14, 6 or 14, 3? Let me look it up here real quick. Uh, John 14, this is important. John 14, 6. I'm reading from the New King James. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now, notice the first part of this, I am the way. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
So we're seeing how this relationship is being restored back to what our first parents had in Galatians, I'm sorry, strike that, in Genesis 1 and 2, way back before the fall in Genesis 3. Now, let's explore what does it mean to be not only a child or a son of God or a daughter of God, but also heirs, and then it goes on in verse, let me see here, where it says joint heirs, that is verse 16 of Romans chapter 8, I'm sorry, 17, and if we are children, then we are also heirs, heirs of God, and here's the kicker here, and joint heirs with the Messiah. All right, so let's go into the book of Psalms and let's do some exploration as to what is Jesus as Messiah, as the Son of God, as our Lord, as our Savior, as our rescuer, as our reconnector, bringing people back to God. He's the bridge of blood that leads to the Father. But what is he going to inherit? So there's a uh, a conversation that's going on in Psalms chapter 2. And verse 7 of Psalms 2, there's a discussion going on with Father God and Jesus as his son. And I'm going to read this out of the New King James. It says, I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me, that's a capital M on me, you are my son. There's a capital M on, on my and a capital S on son. Today I have begotten you. Look at verse 8 of Psalm 2. Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance, and the ends of the earth for your possession. I want to take you back to the second temptation of Christ. When Jesus was out in the desert for the 40 days, and he is taken up to a mountain. I believe it's in Luke chapter 4. Yeah, I'll find it here in just a second. And in essence, Satan wants to test Jesus, and he basically is going to take him up to that mountain, and he's going to show him something. And he's going to show him, let's see here, this is in Luke 4, uh, verse 5. I'm going to read this from the New King James as well. Then the devil taking him up on a high mountain showed him all of the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Now, when I read that, I thought, here is, here are, I should say, the two leaders of the two conflicting kingdoms, the fallen angelic kingdom that we see in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28 that came down out of the second heavens and invaded earth and blew up everything that God had created, the system, the kingdom, the way it was supposed to work in Genesis 1 and 2. Everything blew up in Genesis chapter 3. Um, but here's this very interesting, you have the fallen angel leader, Satan, Lucifer. In Hebrew, it's called, he's called Ha-Satan. Ha is the, Satan means adversary. 
here we have the adversary who has started a rebellion against God in the, in the second heavens. He brought it down to earth, and unfortunately, as humans, we gave our authority over to him. And that's why he was able to take his limited power and basically create havoc and chaos and all of the things that we see in our daily uh, lookings at the newspaper. You hear it on the news. It's everywhere. Satan is very much in control of the earth for now because his church— God's church is not doing thy will be done. We're starting to. We're beginning to. We're making we're turning some corners. But we have to get back to the preaching of the gospel of the kingdom. God's kingdom versus Satan's kingdom of rebellion. So going back to verse 5 here in Luke chapter 4, here is Satan taking Jesus, who is the leader of the kingdom of light who is the Son of God, who is the leader of the kingdom of life, light and life, versus darkness and death. The devil takes Jesus up to the high mountain and shows him all of the kingdoms of the world, of the world in a moment of time. Notice the prize here. Because this is the second temptation of Christ. Um, I was always wondering, because of the way I was taught as a young student in the Catholic world, and even as a young student in the later in the Protestant world, uh, I was at, I was wondering why didn't Jesus show him? I'm sorry, why didn't Satan show Jesus heaven as the great prize in Luke chapter four verse five? He didn't show him heaven. He showed him something very different. He showed him the material creation of Genesis 1 and 2. That's what he showed him. And he showed him not just the the kingdoms of the earth, but he showed them the nations in a moment of time, the people groups. It's all about the nations, and that was the promise of the covenant between Father God and Abraham, that he would be a father and a blessing to many nations. This is a continuum. Nothing's changed from that original covenant that was made in Genesis 12 and Genesis 15 and Genesis 17 between Father Abraham and Father God. And notice in verse 6, going back to Luke chapter 4 and the second temptation of Christ, And the devil said to him, this is from the New King James, all this authority I will give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Well, this is another subject, but the question is, was he lying about the authority being given to him? It certainly wasn't given to him from God as a rebellious angel. God wasn't going to give any authority to a rebellious angel. But here's a question for you we may answer in another show. Um, was this authority given to him by someone who did receive the authority initially? In other words, who received the authority to run the earth in the beginning of Genesis? Who was it? Was it, were it, was it given to human beings? Was it given to two human beings, namely Adam and namely Eve? And were, was it they who gave 
that authority, handed it over to a fallen angel so that he could take his residual power and now basically run the earth? I'll submit to you, going back to verse 5, the prize is the earth and the nations of the earth. That's why it was a temptation. Now, let's go back to what Jesus is going to inherit from his father in Psalm 2, verse 7. I'll read it again. This is Father God talking to his son. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and and the ends of the earth for your possession. There are two parts there to the inheritance. It's not just that getting back the earth that we lost in Genesis 3, but also the people of the earth, the prats, the grand prize, are those nations that occupy the earth. All right. Now, you might ask, where does it say that the earth belongs to men? I always thought, you know, we were just going to die and go to a place called heaven, and that was eternal life, although that's not what the Bible says. Eternal life says in John 17, 3, it says eternal life is knowing God and Jesus Christ, whom God sent. So that's very different. Eternal life is a relationship, not dying and going to a location. Take a look at Psalm 115, and let's go over to verse 16 of Psalm 115. As we start to look at verse 16 of Psalm 115, it says, I'm going to read out of the New King James, the heaven, even the heavens, plural, are the Lord's. That's with an apostrophe S to show possession. And then the next line down in verse 16 Check this out. But the earth, he, that's a capital H on he, has given to the children of men. The material creation was given not to fallen angels, but rather to mankind, to steward, to govern, to rule over to keep it, to tend it and keep it. And there were virtually no limitations, except that one that we found out about in Genesis chapter 3 when everything blew up. But interesting that it says in Psalm 115, verse 16, but the earth he has given to the children of men. When Jesus comes back to earth, it's not just to remove a bunch of folks and go back to heaven. He's coming back to bring his kingdom. Notice in the Lord's Prayer how the focus is all on the earth. I mean, we don't even, we say these words very quickly because, you know, we learn this prayer as young children and it's memorized, but we don't ever stop and really pay attention and slowly say the words so that we, so that we comprehend what's really going on. Jesus is on earth when he's been asked the question, teach us how to pray. So he says, okay, here we go. So the first two words are our Father. Well, that's another one of our identities that, wait a minute, if, have you ever heard preachers pray? Typically they'll start off with uh, saying, Father this or Father that, and then all of a sudden they're going to talking to Jesus as if he's still the, as, as if he is the Father. 
and then somehow they'll get into the Holy Spirit. I'm not even sure if we're supposed to pray directly to the Holy Spirit. I don't see any scripture for that. But the role of Father God is different than the role of Messiah Jesus, Yeshua, as the Son of God. They have two different roles. And all of the roles of the Father are in the Lord's Prayer. Identity, our Father. This is Jesus teaching us this prayer. Who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, holy be your name. What's the next verse? This is out of Matthew 6. Thy kingdom come. Well, it's talking about, is it a place or is it something different like a a government? A government, a culture being brought down from heaven to where? Where is Jesus when he teaches us this part of the prayer? Your kingdom come. Notice he didn't say your kingdom leave, your kingdom go, your kingdom depart, your kingdom to relocate. He didn't say that. He said your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come. We have to reorient and re-switch our calibration on this is not about a place to where we are going to. Adam and Eve had heaven on earth when they had a relationship with God, and they were having a blast. They were having a great time. I mean, a lot of times, I don't think we appreciate what was going on between Father God and Abraham as his son. Father God's creating all kinds of things in Genesis chapter 2 out of the earth, just like he created Adam um, out of the earth and breathed life into it. He's still making animals. And he has, as a co-mission, he calls Adam over and says, hey, let's do this together. What do you want to call this, what I just pulled out of the earth? I just made this out of dirt and showing you the different types of, of creativity and animals and the, and the variety, the unlimited, amazing creativity of, of, of innovativeness <laughs> and invention that's going on. And he never, Father God never contradicted Adam or said, no, that's a stupid name. That's, that's not a name that really fits what I just made. I mean, he basically showed Adam that he did have the authority to name the animals based on what Adam wanted to do. And what's, what's really amazing is that this is happening not as kind of packing your bags to get ready to go to a place. This whole transportation thing is much more uh, Gnostic thinking, Greek thinking, than it is Hebrew thinking. Hebrew thinking is earth-oriented. Hebrew thinking is the world, material world, material creation-oriented. We Greeks, we Gentiles, don't understand that the whole process of the kingdom of heaven coming to earth with Jesus is to reestablish God's government here on what we call terra firma. Our feet are right now on our inheritance. We are to inherit 
God's material creation that he gave us in the beginning. And if you look in the book of Revelation, the new Jerusalem comes down out of heaven back to earth. The convergence of the spiritual realm with the material realm. You ready for this? Joint heirs of Christ? Hey, hope you have a ton of simple truth moments in the week coming up. We'll look forward to seeing you next week. God bless you. Thank you for spending your time with us excavating God's Simple Truth Moments. For more information and resources, visit simpletruthministries.net. That's simpletruthministries.net. To contact Simple Truth Moments, email me at earlsimpletruth at gmail.com. That's earlsimpletruth at gmail.com. So until next time, may God richly reveal his simple truth moments to you. You've been listening to Simple Truth Moments. Join Reverend Earl Clampett for another episode next Sunday at 11 a.m. right here on K-Praise. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.